Welcome to another episode of the Limitless Life Podcast. I am your host, Kyle Smith. And if you have not done so, hit that subscribe button so that you never miss another podcast. And if you love this podcast and want some more tips and tricks on how to improve yourself, go ahead and subscribe to my YouTube channel, The Dapper Dude. There are a ton of instructional videos there. You can find the links below. However, my friends, my brothers and sisters, for today, my guest, my guest, is the one, the only, Raj Dillon. Da- Raj, welcome to the show, my man. Thanks, Kyle. Your energy is like amazing this morning. Dude, it's it's part and parcel of the people I get to speak with. <laughs> <laughs> so, my man, uh, I think I think the the best the best way to kind of start a podcast is asking the question of how is it that what you do impacts the lives of others. Uh, I disagree. I don't think it's the best way to start a podcast, but it's okay. Nice. <laughs> Let's proceed. Um, so what I do like as, as a career is I'm a physiotherapist and the way that that impacts people's lives varies from client to client. Some clients, um, the most common I'd say in the physiotherapy industry is managing their pain. So the, the most common goal that people will identify is help me take away my pain. With that being said, when I ask why like obviously pain sucks so that's kind of an obvious human goal but when i ask why like what do you want to do once the pain goes away do you want to do you want to run a race do you want to play with your grandkids do you want to be able to jump higher do you want to be able to return to sport um, then usually we can uncover something else about that person and what their you know passions are what their motivations are and and ultimately what helps them thrive and i think if we not that we always do but sometimes we dive deeper. We say, why do you care about this race? Why do you care about return to sport? Why do you care about playing with your grandkids? And ultimately it comes, you know, if, if people are operating at a certain frequency, they'll often say, it's my purpose. And so that it's, it's, you know, speaking to their own form of self-actualization. Mm-hmm. So in some form of indirect pathway through helping with their pain management and helping them get strong enough to do what they want to do, I, I hope that I'm able to help contribute to their self-actualization which is ultimately their journey not mine and i realize i'm not you know a big part of that but probably a small part of that i like that so out of curiosity how would you open up a podcast i don't know i uh, so yeah i figured you'd ask <laughs> <laughs> um so like you know i obviously i tried to sway it right like i, I swayed that that question points to my career right uh, and that's fair some people will want to listen to this because of the career and so on but I think every podcast guest that you have and every podcast guest that is on every podcast is much more than his or her career. Um, so that's why I think, it's, you know, I think there's a, a place for um, something broader and I'm sure you're going to get there. Like I, I know you well, and I think you're going to get there. It's just, uh, it was more of a snipe comment. <laughs> no, I like it. The second you said, it, I'm like, oh, low hanging fruit for a question. I'm going to take it. <laughs> it's like you lofted up an easy one to start off. Oh, yeah, totally. You just right. gave me a little assist. I'm like, oh, yeah, here we go. We're going to get going now. <laughs> uh, so, so in that sense, so uh, to me, to me, it's a, uh, to me, knowing you, you're very uh, um, passionate. Uh, I find that the way that you, the way that you, interact with the world around you is very purposeful. I find you to be very intentional. And 
it's just in seeing what you do. I don't think you would ever just, well, would you describe yourself as purposeful, intentional? Yeah, those are perfect words. They're very appropriate. Okay. Yeah, I, I, and I, that's by design. Like I, I choose to do that. And it's been a bit of an exercise and helping, you know, I've had to try to identify what my, what I think my purpose is and, and where I have skills and interest and value and what I, what I can contribute to this world. And it, so part of that, you just kind of naturally start living with certain purpose and acting in certain ways simultaneously. And then part of it is the more you do something, the deeper down the rabbit hole you get. And so I think there's a duality to that. However, yes, I, I'd say purposeful is a, is a pretty accurate descriptor. And this would be in your pursuit of self-actualization? Yeah, I, to a degree. Um, to a degree, yes. And, and you know, depending on how deep we dive into the philosophy of this, I also think there's that that can change over time. That you know, what my purpose is today is not necessarily the same purpose I have 10 years from now. I, I think it should change. And I hope I think that's the same for everybody. So there's a there's there's the, the search for self-actualization. And one may actually get there or not get there, but the search itself is is like where the joy lies in my in my one of my beliefs. I agree with that. It's not the attainment of the self-actualization, but the process of self self-actualizing itself. Yeah, it's like it's like we're playing this uh, inception game where the process of the process of the process. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like every finish line is just another layer into the dream. <laughs> right. Have you ever had this uh, this conversation with people where they like there's a philosophy out there, right? So let's say I'm sitting here. You and I are sitting here. We're both humans, and and let's say I'm behaving either really, you know, in line with my values and in line with what I believe, or let's say conversely. I'm behaving erratically and, and not in line with what I think is the right way to behave. So either way, the how I can adjust that is either somebody needs to coach me or I need to realize it or I have to talk to myself or look myself in the mirror. Something has to happen for behavior modification. So there's an analogy out there where, where you kind of pretend like another Kyle is here looking at this Kyle and talking to this Kyle. And, and this is actually the Kyle you want to be. You know, have you ever heard this before? I well, I, I've heard it before. I've had it in practice where if someone was objectively viewing what you were doing, what would they think of it? But right. I definitely I have a I have a, a framework where there's the inner rival and the inner uh, role model. And okay. so it's the role model that is looking at the actions and the rival, the uh, person that's comfort, more ego driven, is holding you back from becoming that role model. Right. And then if we take it further, there's this Kyle over here, and then there's another Kyle over here, right? And then, and then you could take it as far as you want. Now we're just getting probably somewhat ridiculous, but, but you know, like, uh, I think this is just me figuring out as we speak, but what if we all operated with the third Kyle? Hmm. That would be kind of cool. It'd be kind of neat. How would humans behave? How would the world interact with itself? How would different nations, how would nation leaders interact with other nation leaders? Like that is a very interesting question. It is actually, well, how would, how would people interact? And do you mean specifically with a third Kyle or an ex ob objective Kyle or an objective self? 
a third well yeah not just kyle like for you it would be a third kyle for me it'd be a third raj yeah you know, like each person's own role model yeah i think um, i think um people i think some are some are probably already there right some are probably already you know acting very much in line with what their values and what their beliefs are and and some have some work to do right? there's different lots of different people absolutely if hypothetically if people were taught at an early age on the the idea of viewing their behaviors objectively, I think that there would be less blame because there'd sure. be less pointing fingers. Because I think there's right. a saying where it, whoever you're, when you're pointing at someone, there's three fingers pointing back. Interesting, yeah. And so I think there would be less blame because there would be more incentive to resolve our own problems because we're seeing, because we all behave better on, when someone else is watching, when, when people are on camera, when yeah. people are in like thinking of that's where that's where anxiety comes from. Some anxiety comes from is when people are thinking about what other people are thinking about mm. rather than what do I think about me? And then mm. seeing it from that perspective, then I think the, the most important person to gain trust with is yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you brought up anxiety. What if we go the other way? What if we talk about like inner happiness? peace, um, thriving, whatever word, you know, means something to you. Um, how can one attain those things or how can one further, be, like become further along the pathway? And it probably is listening to that third Kyle and getting really like getting reps in, getting a lot of practice, asking yourself. And I think that's probably does occur to a degree in meditation. It occurs to, to a degree when you journal. Right? Like journaling is an exercise where you're writing to yourself and nobody else. You can reflect on it. You can review. Um, people that are experienced and that practice that skill will, I think, will be further along in listening to that third Kyle and behaving more in that way. Do you have a particular journal practice that works that way? I actually don't journal, to be honest. Uh, lots of people in my world do, and, and I respect that about them. I've never... I've never made it a habit. I mean, I have done it the odd time, but no, there's nothing consistent, nothing regular in a written form, nothing in a written form. There is, there is certainly like a reflection process that I go through and it's not formalized. There's no like rules to it. There's no, uh, there's no manual. I just, I'm a pretty reflective practicer. Um, and I do that internally, do it mentally. Nice. I think uh, I think that journaling going when you think it ink it when you go pen to paper, it's just the I think of it as like the training wheels to self reflection like internal self reflection because when you Maybe. can get your thoughts down then you just go into the mind after that point sometimes yeah I can see it being a gateway for sure yeah uh, it also it also is an accountability practice like it, you know if if some for some people they need to have the check mark. Like I, I've done, I've actually journaled purposefully on Sunday before the week starts. And this is my, one of my habits that keeps me accountable over the course of time. And, and it keeps them on the, on the right path, whatever they define that path to be, keeps them on that path. Nice. Where do you find uh, your purpose, your fulfillment, your joy? Depends on what layer we're asking about. So uh, at the human layer, like I have, I have three big focuses three big foci. It's my family. Um, so I'm a, I'm a husband, I'm a son, I'm a brother, I'm a father, um, I'm a cousin, you know, many of those things. So 
So family is one of the focus foci. Uh, number two, uh, whatever sequence, uh, number three, number two and three are my career and fitness and health. So career-wise, I'm a physiotherapist, I'm a practice owner, uh, and, and fitness-wise, I just love like health and a lot of things that go into that. And those could be eating habits, hydration, sleep, exercise, sports, um, pursuits that are slightly outside of one's comfort zone, encouraging others. Um, and, you, know, you and I had a couple lists together. Those were, those were you know, PR style days. Yeah, they so were. That, those are nice. You know, those are, those, there's a place for those. Yeah, so, so three things that kind of at the human level that, that bring me a lot of joy. There's obviously like things that go into that espresso, um, sunshine, music, these are all the things that then kind of make me happy. And um, from, a, from a larger, like a, maybe a higher place, I'd say, what brings me happiness is like we're only on this planet for a certain number of years. So I really appreciate being present and try, trying to be present as much as possible. Uh, and by being present, what I mean is enjoying the act of being present, the practice of it, but then also whatever is around you. Like there's an optimist and a pessimist within each of us. So, um, for example, if you and I are having this podcast, I get to enjoy whatever this podcast brings, whatever manifests through this conversation. Uh, there will be an energy to that. Um, for example, if we travel and there, we had a trip to India recently with the family, and there's a lot of like pleasurable moments there where we can see grandparents meeting their grandkids, great grandparents meeting their grandkids for the first time. I got to see where my mom was born and where she grew up for the first time in the village that she was born in. There's, there's very meaningful nostalgic moments and they're very, you know, positive. There's also some pain points, you know, travel with uh, an introvert, a daughter who, who doesn't want to be around others. She needs some time alone and that can't happen. There's just, there's no space for it. And there's some pain there. There's some, you know, upset stomachs and some, some lack of sleep and, and there's, there's some pain points. And we don't run away from the pain. The pain is part of our human existence. Pain is part of it. So yeah, of course we don't like it. Of course we narrate that as, as negative. Um, however, one of my philosophies is pain is like part of the journey. If you don't have pain, and if, one, if a human does never experience pain, a human will not be able to distinguish pain from pleasure. And if one always has pleasure, that just becomes baseline. And now it's no longer pleasurable. You know, so you kind of have to have the duality of it. You kind of have to have, you know, I get that it sucks. And I, 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 it sucks for me just as much as anybody else. But there's a, I try to reflect that the pain is necessary. Pain is part of it. And then therefore we should, we should actually appreciate it to a degree, which sounds really weird but we should appreciate it to a degree. I completely agree with that. I have this kind of analogy where we're all iron ore in the ground and we're all comfortable. We're shielded by the elements. And then either by choice or by chance, that iron ore is going to be found. So it's either the person digging for iron ore is going to find us or we're going to allow ourselves to be seen. <clears throat> and then what happens is we get taken out of the ground, we take, get taken out of our comfort place, our comfort zone, then we are melted down, we are molded, then we go through a process of heating up, beating, sharpening, heating up, beating, sharpening, and 
I think of pain as the blacksmith that forges us into the ultimate weapon, into our, our own kind of like the higher self, the role mm -hmm. model, right? Mm -hmm. So without that pain, without that difficulty, without the uh, turbulence, without that shakeup of our comfort, we never get the opportunity to fulfill what we are capable of as a, a, a weapon of sorts. You just take the hypertrophy stimulus adaptation analogy and put it to your spirituality. Yeah, I think I kind of did. <laughs> 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 Nicely done, Kyle. Thank you, my friend. <laughs> so, oh yeah, you, you what was your trip to India? You went to on a trip to India and you were helping out some folks. No, no, you're getting two trips uh, okay. uh, combined there. Gotcha. So, so, we, so I'll, I'll break them down. Uh, we'll talk about them. Uh, one of the trips was earlier this year. I've gone on this trip before. It's a medical mission to Ecuador. To Quito is the capital of Ecuador. Uh, so it's in South America. Uh, the, the, the genetics and the lifestyle of young people in Quito, Ecuador, is such that they're often like the, the babies are carried on in backpacks on, on typically mother's backs when they're doing farming. And their hips are then, you know, put into this mm. externally rotated position and they're not weight bearing as often. And as a result of that, the hip development isn't as, as uh, strong and as load bearing as it needs to be. And they develop a condition called hip dysplasia. So hip dysplasia has a higher incidence in Ecuador than in many other parts of the world. And as a result, these people often need surgical correction. So either babies need some form of surgical correction or these people grow up with bad hips and they then become members of adult society with some hip concerns. So there's a, there's a group that is largely out of Edmonton. It's called the Canadian Association of Medical Teams Abroad or CAMTA for short. So CAMTA, C-A-M-T-A. CAMTA is a group of medical people and um, lay people that go down to Quito, Ecuador every year they work with the local social worker and the medical hospitals there in Ecuador, providing surgeries for free for people that need these surgical interventions. So those patients, either the babies, there's, there's pediatric cases, there's adult cases. Those cases receive um, preoperative screening, surgical intervention, and postoperative care until they're discharged home. Typically, that's one or two days of the hospital stay. And all of that is covered by the mission, so they don't pay for any of that. Typically, they can't afford these services their own, their own, on their own. Uh, there are private medical services in the area, but these people can't afford that. And so part of our mission is to help these people. And then there's surgeons, anesthetists, physiotherapists, doctors, nurses, IT people, logistics people, uh, leadership, and there's lay people that help manage many other things, cleaning surgical instruments, purchasing supplies, Coordinating the team, writing a blog. There's team members that are doing a variety of different things. There's about 100 volunteers altogether, and 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 they go down in week one and week two. So roughly 40 go for week one, 40 go for week two, and about 20 do both weeks. Right. So this has been going on for 20 years, minus three years of COVID. Um, so so it's roughly 20 years. Um, I've gone three times, and I've been lucky enough to go three times. So that's been a productive mission. Uh, obviously, there's there's impact on those patients, on their families. 
some examples of, of how those people, like what actually happens to them after their surgery. So sometimes they're walking with a limp and, and they're an adult and they you know, might go apply for a job at a bank, for example. But the bank um, employment staff might see this person and they might, they might, and they have reported that they do rank that person lower in employability, mm. potentially because of medical costs or time off costs associated with their, their condition. Mm -hmm. So for, for them to have a no limp situation and a healthy hip, like a legitimately strong, healthy hip, it actually means their medical costs will go down, time off requests will go down, and they're now more employable. So now they're looked at just for their skills and their personality, much like anybody else would be, which is a huge advantage to that individual. Now they can have the chance to earn an income, have a meaningful position, maybe they improve their self-confidence, maybe improves their, now we talk about social circles, that likelihood in that nation, likelihood of that person getting married rises. Likelihood of that person maybe being able to enjoy having a family rises. So there's like some dominoes that fall that we maybe will never see. But we know they've reported to us later that that is indeed true. That's pretty cool, so, man. So that, that's one trip. The second trip that we're referencing is was more of a family trip. Um, so, so my wife and I, um, well, let's be honest, my wife and her father actually organized the most of it. Um, so three grandparents, there's my mom, uh, my, my mother and father-in-law, my brother and my brother-in-law, my wife and I, and four of our children. So there's 11 of us in total. We traveled to India. The two grandmothers went first. They were there and they were socializing with their families for about a week or two before we arrived. And then we all arrived there. It's my third time in India. Um, my wife and brother-in-law have been there um, a handful of times more than I have. It's first time for our kids. We have four kids between the ages of 14 and five, uh, two daughters, two sons. So, you know, for my wife and I, it's pretty important. It was a pretty important chance for us to get them to the nation that is like our homeland to meet their great-grandmother. My wife's grandmother is still alive and in good health. So it was good for them to meet her. Uh, it was important for us to give them, but it's a small taste. It's two and a half weeks in India, but it's a, a taste of what it is today, which is not what it was 70 years ago when our parents were born, but it's what it is today. Um, so they got a chance to see some poverty. They got a chance to see some third world experience. They got a chance to see some village life and farm life, some simplicity. They got a chance to see some beauty, you know, the Golden Temple, the Pakistan-India border ceremony. Um, and then we spent about three or four days in Dubai on the way home. And that was a way to break up the trip on the way home. It was also a chance to explore something we'd never explored before. Uh, so they got a chance to, you know, do some fun kid activities uh, and see a place that operates in a different way than the rest of the world. Uh, so really, like really, you know, people often ask me, what was the best part of your trip? I don't know if there was a best part. It's kind of an impossible question to answer. Um, but what, what I appreciate about the trip was each, each person had their own narrative of the experience. And each person's narrative is really important. Each person had the pain points and the pleasure points. And we gelled together as a family more so, and we got to create some memories and we got to do it with grand, like grandparents and grandkids got to do it together, mm. which is very, very special. Like, I don't think, like I, I can say it to you and I can, I can probably, my brain can understand it, 
but I don't know that I will, I, at least right now, I'll never truly understand it. I'm not a grandparent, uh, so I can try, but that's a very, in my brain, that's a very special thing. They voiced that they want that, and we were able to kind of, you know, facilitate that, which, which for me, that was one of the highlights, was facilitating that, seeing where my mom grew up. Those are the two big highlights for me. That's pretty cool. So from from what I gather, you do a lot where uh, I think you're a very impactful person and you dabble in a couple different things, but you have like a foundational consistency with you. Do you think that there is a, or is there kind of like a very, like, let's go a couple layers into that inception world. Yeah. Do you think that there is a core passion, feeling, purpose, driver, like maybe is there a single word to describe the foundation across all your kind of endeavors? Does that make sense? I don't think there's a word. I think um, like a, an easy phrase is leave, whatever you touch, leave it better than when you found it. Hmm. So whether it's an environment, whether it's the dishes in the kitchen, or whether it's a person or a team or a nation or a medical team or a patient, a, a trainer, like whatever you come across, leave it better than when you found it or try, try to. So like that should be your intent. Uh, and that, that's how I try. I don't always succeed. There's certainly failures along the way. Certainly times where my tank is empty and I leave a ton of dishes in the kitchen. There's certainly those moments. Um, but yeah, I, I try to have that theme throughout. That's cool. Uh, what role does, oh, go ahead. go ahead, sorry. No, no, you go for it. Uh, what, I like asking this question because I think it's kind of cool. Uh, what role does love play in creating the world around you? Um, what role does love play? Mm. So in order to answer that question, I think we have to uncover my definition of love first. So um, my definition of love is overarching care and desire to do what's best for something else that is outside of myself, which so it might be a person, it might be an animal, a pet, it might be a team, uh, whatever it is, but, but it's overarching care for what's best for that other entity. So your question is what role does love play in the creative world around me? Sometimes it means kicking someone in the ass <laughs> and that's actually what's best for them. Like they actually need, that's what's best for them. They need that stimulus adaptation curve. They need that iron being molded. Like it's it just what they need. Sometimes that's what I need, right? Like I'm, I'm, that, that's true for all of us. And sometimes it's, it's TLC, you know, it's like genuine listening with no judgment, no actions, no suggestions, just be there for someone and and let so so my five-year-old comes to mind right he, he got some hot he's very emotional about something and he's got some big feelings and he doesn't want anyone to do anything about it he just wants to tell someone and cry on someone's shoulder and say this is what's going on with me so you just let him do that and, and be there for him so sometimes it's kicking someone in the ass sometimes it's tlc sometimes it's sometimes it's bigger so let's say there's um you know, the, the Ecuador mission is a good example. So I didn't sign up for any medical missions until six years ago. 
and, and then we had a three-year break because of COVID in the middle. But what prompted me signing up for something like that was a period of time where I started to feel like I'm doing a lot of good. I feel like I'm doing a lot of good, but there's something missing. And I was trying to uncover what was missing. So is it, is it, you know, I just couldn't figure it out. It took me a while to, to do this exercise of trying to figure it out. And what I, what I identified was I wanted to do something over and above what I was currently doing. And I didn't want money to be attached to it. I wanted it to be not for money. I wanted it to be for something else. And so for me, that's, a, that's an example of sharing love. And, and that's one way that I express it and one way that I do it. And, and, and so do the rest of the volunteers. And, and so do all the donors. There's a whole bunch of people that help me fundraise that actually make this happen. So they're all sharing love, right? These are all different ways of sharing love. Um, so I know I'm kind of going on a bit of a tangent here, but your question is how does love shape the world around me? I try to have it in every aspect and, and I don't always succeed, but I try. So I think love and genuine care contribute if that's one of the thoughts at the forefront. Mm, I like that. I like that. <clears throat> What's kind of the, now, yeah, I got a couple, of, there's a couple of questions that pop up on that one. Okay, so with that, let's go with, uh, okay, yeah. So I know the impact that you have on me, just even with chatting with you, it's just, it's a, it's a good, it's a good, it's a good energy. It's a good vibe. Every time I've ever chatted with you, it's always been fantastic. So it's always had a good and positive impact on me. Good. And is that impact or that impression, like that impression that you want to practice, is that a active process or is it passive? Are you actively trying uh, to go for it? It's both. Cool. Um, there was a period of time, like really young, high school age, where um, it, it needed to be really active. It needed to be really, um, like I wasn't good at it. I didn't have practice. I had never like, consciously thought of this topic until about high school. And so, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18 years old, I kind of started to dabble in this concept and, you know, and then at that point, it's like, you have, I had no skill. I had no conscious thought. I had no practice, you know? So it was, it had to be really active, like dial it in. The reps were kind of low. Everything was, everything sucked. You just had to practice and get better at it. And now many years later, there's a lot of practice. So to a degree, it becomes routine and it just becomes, you know, some people say it's your nature and, and so on. And fair enough, but no, like it still has to be active to a degree. It's like, it's like when you deadlift, you, if it's heavy, you have to still actively recruit your lats and recruit your core and recruit your quads and everything else. You, although some of it is routine, right? Uh, so, and it's like, if you ride a bike, you know, you just might take it for granted, just jump on and go. But when you hit a bump or when you hit a turn or some, a ball comes across in front of you, you got to be active. So there's moments of it. Um, so that, that's kind of the logical answer, but uh, I'll build on it. So, so why is it active still? Let me, let me, let me tell you. So the reason it's still active is because it's important to me, right? Like I, I want, it is, I'm, it's very, very important to me and therefore it's on my mind. 
And therefore the actions, I try to have them match that. So that everything's in, in alignment with, there's congruency. Yeah, yeah, like, like values, value structures and value structures and actions and, and inner thoughts. When, when they're aligned, I'm more at peace. And when they're not aligned, I feel some, um, you know, inner turmoil. Would you say generally when people are out of alignment, that's where they feel the most angst or? I, I, I yeah. can't speak for everybody. I don't know. I don't know. I, I think that's probably a contributor. Like, I, well, okay. It works for me. So I don't know if it works for everybody. So for those that are around me, if they ask for advice, this is usually my advice, right? Have things lined up a little more because it works for me. But, but sometimes that like, there's people out there for sure that that's not the strategy. Some people, they need like a different tool and that's okay. And they, you know, but again, I would suggest, so let's say, let's say somebody loves doing seven things at once. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and they, their, their brains work that way. That's where they thrive. A lot of stimulus and a lot of different energies, some short-term, some long-term different age groups. And they just love this party in their brain. And therefore they create a party in their life and they have a lot of actions going on in their life. That's okay. But that's what it aligns for them, right? Their value structures are bringing community together. Everyone welcome. Their, their actions and inner thoughts are a lot of things going on all at once. And then their behavior matches. So those three things line up and that person's lifestyle is very different than mine, but, the, but they are aligning in thought, action, and, and value structure. So I do think it fits. It's like the, it's like the, the, the tactic can work, but it's the subjective variability that people reflect on. Like, how is it, can I implement this rather than I can't implement that because I work off of seven things and not one thing. Fair play. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty cool, man. So what what were you like before this active? Honestly, I, I would just describe you as awesomeness. I think awesomeness is a nice descriptor. <laughs> but I, so as yeah. a as like a as a child, I was more into well. I think I was frenetic. I mean, I don't know. I just, I, I'm just describing how my mom described me. So, so she says that when I would get on the bus as a four-year-old, I would talk to everybody on the bus. And that's, that was what I did. So it, to a degree, maybe it's nature. Maybe it's just like who that kid was. Um, but then when I got to school, I was actually very shy. I was shy through elementary school, shy through junior high, pretty quiet certainly not extroverted behavior and small groups of friends, not large groups of friends. Um, Self-confidence was either low or in the middle, certainly not high. Um, yeah, so that, that's, very, that's a very different picture than that four-year-old talking to everybody on the bus, right? It's a different picture. And then by about grade nine or 14, 15 years old, I started to become more confident and have larger groups of friends and, um, it kind of evolved through through high school and, and then things went a little bit smoother after that. 
Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how what caused those things or what contributed to those things, but that's how it went. Nice. And then I'd say there was a period of time where well, let's, let's go decades. Let's go. Let's go decades here. So in the twenties, um, the early twenties were like collegiate years, university years. Um, I would say they're pretty average collegiate years. There's some there's some sports in there. There was some partying in there. There's some school in there. Some great friendships forged in that stage, and um, a lot of like experimentation and figuring out what I value, what I don't. Uh, late twenties, I got married and started a new chapter of my life, a, a very important chapter, and I appreciate that very much. So in my thirties, in my thirties, we had all the kids. So it's like parenting is a clear cut. Like from from the age of thirty to the age of forty, we had kids. And so uh, first kid was born at 30, last kid was born at, sorry, first kid born at 30, last kid born at 40. So like, obviously all the stuff that comes with that, late nights, give up all your partings, behaviors, you become different, different lifestyle. The friends without kids don't know how to hang out with you anymore. And, and those things happen and you start developing different friendships. And then, and then in that window, like the iron analogy you brought up, I mean, Parenting and having kids was was that uprooting of the iron mm. and helping remold the iron. So my wife and I were both remolded, right? And now now we have now we're in our forties, and now we have children that are two of them are teenagers, and two of them are in elementary school. And I don't know how to define it yet. I think I won't know how until later. Oh, that's pretty cool. Okay. Yeah, nice. That's pretty cool. Uh, oh, I don't want to ask you that question because ah, yeah, you know what? Uh, no, you've kind of already said it in that one. Uh, what what would be this one? I think would be kind of a cool one because you're a very introspective fellow and you're reflective. So, what is it? What are some things, or what is one thing or two things that society generally, as a whole, really cares for, but you have zero care for, or has value in, but you have no value in? <laughs> Well, okay, I'll be a little bit less extreme, but but I think I think getting to your point here. So at least okay, let's talk about North America because I think the society you're referencing is where we live, you know, in Edmonton, which is so North American yep. society was going to be different in different parts of the world, I'm sure. Of course. So in North American society, <clears throat> so I I don't watch the news. Same. Like I, for for many many years, I have not watched the news. I don't tune in. I found it actually was causing like negative thoughts. It was very, it was always bad news. I actually think they should call it bad news. Like, mm -hmm. like when they, when you tune in CTV or uh, global bad news, that's what they should call it because 90% of it is bad news. Now I have to give them credit. There are some good news moments where they say, you know, this organization <laughs> is doing a charitable event for this group. And there are some moments, but I'd say the vast majority is death, fire, uh, politicians getting angry with each other, you know, poor Alberta healthcare. Like it's always bad news. So, so I don't care. At the same time, when I say the words, I don't care, it implies apathy, which is not true. I actually do care a lot, but I don't care to watch the news is what I'm getting at. I care about doing something about it. So like, I don't want to complain and, and, and vent and, and then not do anything about it. So if I'm going to complain to you, 
if let's say you and I have a conversation like Kyle, I really don't like this thing about healthcare. You know, I wouldn't do that unless I'm prepared to actually take some action. Smallest action would be write to my MLA and a larger action would be actually get involved in something more meaningful. So yeah, so like the I don't care is like I don't care about watching the news. That's an example. I like that. Another, one. another example is like, I think in 14 years, so my eldest daughter is 14. I think I bought her, like bought her a gift, like birthday gift, Christmas gift, like the, the stereotypical North American gift giving days. Uh, maybe I've done it three or four times. Mm. Right. So like, like on the birthday and on the Christmas and on the, you know, blah, blah, blah. That, that societal meaning, I don't attach to her life. Now she does get a ton of Christmas gifts and a ton of birthday gifts. She gets them from a lot of other people in her family. And, I, not do you. Her, <laughs> and I do give her gifts. Like I give her gifts randomly and throughout the course of the year. And, and it'll, it'll just be sometimes it's purposeful because it's a school demand. And sometimes just because I think she wants something or I think she'll like it. I do give her lots of gifts. Some of them physical, like, like, you know, gifts and some of them gifts of time and experiences and other things. So it's not that I'm, in my belief, it's not that I'm underfilling her tank, but I'm not ascribing to this thing, this, this, you know, salespeople have told me I've got to buy her this thing on Christmas. So I'm going to buy her this thing. On Christmas. I just, I don't do that, but my wife does and other people do. And she gets lots of Christmas. So that's an example of something I don't, I don't prioritize very much. Cool. Is there let's, go to, let's go to a different part. Let's go, let's go, let's go recently. We were in India recently. Okay. So I know you want to segue, but give me a second. No, 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 so, no so in India, the whole country doesn't care about time. They don't care. Mm. They don't care what time. Nobody in the nation cares about time. Not a single individual cares about time. So Indian standard time is a real thing. We would get up in the morning and, and we would start saying to the family, okay, let's get going. Meaning let's get in the car at about 8.30 a.m. We'd say, let's get going at 8.30 a.m. Guess what time we actually got in the car? 11. 11.30. Oh. Very close. So three hours of this fake news, let's get going. There's no one believing it. People are saying, let's get going and then going to take a nap. Say, let's get going and then turning on a movie. Like this is, I'm not giving you fake examples. These are real examples. Let's get going and then go take a nap. Let's get going and start the movie on the TV. Let's get going. This is fake news. People don't care about time. And, and there's, there's like an argument to be made for, maybe that's why there's no middle class because people don't care about time and industry and economics. And like, you have to care about those things in order to push industry. That's a fair challenge. That may be true, maybe false, but it's a fair challenge at least. Maybe there's some argument to make that's beautiful. It's so simple and peaceful and there's less stress. And, and there's a, an argument to be made for that too. So I was on vacation. I, uh, you know, I got lucky. I get to live in this beautiful vacation lifestyle. Of nobody cares about time. It's quite peaceful, but I think there would be a struggle for most of us to live in a nation and work in a nation where nobody cares about time. It'd be it'd be a different switch we'd have to turn on in our brains. That's interesting. So would so would you? Okay, when I hear that, I think to myself, where what I would have to adjust, and I would have to adjust the intensity of my action taken on the day actually this is this is kind of the way that i can kind of think of it is 
when Kendra and I went to Amsterdam, Amsterdam's really freaking chill, man. Yeah. And I did not realize it, or I didn't realize my pace, because my pace is the same here, there, wherever. Yeah. And I was going, we were going, going, going. And I'm basically yeah. like ragging Kendra. And she's like, why, why are you walking so fast? Look around <laughs> you. Nobody else is yeah. walking as yeah. fast as you. And we did yeah. take a brook break and then looked around like, holy shit. And then I, I like had to, I had to like, like, I had to remind myself every once in a while. It's like, whoa, calm yourself down, man. Would it be kind of like that? Yeah, we are very much. Um, So let's, I'll I'll give you a milder analogy. Even in Edmonton, when I, when I live here and I go through my days, a lot of the days are similar to yours. A lot of energy, um, you know, you kind of get used to walking at a certain pace, being productive, having, you know, what we call productivity. It's like on our mind, right? The best use of our time is a common, you know, phrase that exists. So there, even there's days here over the last three or four years where I've tried to coach myself to just operate 20% slower. And and I don't try to like turn off. I just operate 20% slower. And I, I don't succeed all the time, but I'm trying this thing. So that was an example. It's a like a training wheel analogy, but yeah, going to India or Amsterdam, I mean, you're on vacation. So let me ask you this. How many days did it take for you to actually feel like you weren't consciously turning your brain off? How many days did it take before it was like you woke up and you were kind of in Amsterdam mode? When, when we first went on that trip, cause it was a little bit of a long one, it was probably for sure three days, possibly yeah. four. Right. So your psychological and, deload was four days. Yeah. Psychological that's, deload. That, that's was okay. Four days. I would say that's pretty common, uh, at least for the people that I speak with and interact with. That's common from what I hear. And it's similar for me. We go to a resort in Mexico, the first three or four days, I'm still using old mental habits and my typical mental habits. And then, it, you know, there's a, there's a natural point in time where things kind of change. That's so okay, Let me ask you this. When you came back, did you struggle to get back into your Edmonton routine or did it happen like this? Uh, when I came back, I tried to kind of similar to what you were saying about performing 20% less, not hundred percent lower, yeah. but like just 20% of my right. regular. So now, so I've, I learned that went away and I'm bringing that back here. Yeah. So I've been, I found that my, I've been a lot more cognitively clear just because I feel less, um, I've, I've provided myself more grace on a day to day basis by yeah. decreasing that 20%. Right. And then what I found is that the quality of my work increased, You got it. my productivity right. increased and yeah. then my stress levels were decreased. I bet your creativity increased. Oh yeah, absolutely, yeah. man. Because you weren't redlining every day. Well That's done. Right. Well done. That's right. I was actually going to say, what what kind of uh, what kind of observations do you have from decreasing that twenty or lowering that twenty percent intensity? Yeah, the, the same things like peace of mind. Um, I'm a better human being. Um, I, I at first I felt guilty. Like the first thought was, "Whoa, how dare you reduce twenty percent or like energy level." how dare you do that? So there was like a, an inner like friction point for sure. And it was, it took a while, but I, I did the experiment and I, I feel like, you know, B 
being a better human being is, is a win. Um, be, and then you get the other stuff, right? The creativity, the productivity, the, the, the things that you actually want. This is actually the pathway. You know, one of my friends uses the phrase, the fastest way to get somewhere is a little bit slower. Right? You know, something to that effect. So this is just another example of using that mantra or that mentality to get where you want to go with some grace. That's a good word to use with some forgiveness and, and actually like harness the other parts of your brain that are operating in the background. It's like you have 75 windows that are open. It's okay to close 10 of them because now the other 65 can work more efficiently. You know, it's okay. That is a great, I'm going to steal. I'm going to put that one in my back pocket and use that one for later. That was a great, that was a great analogy. I, I think it's interesting where, where I find we're at the top of the hour too. Okay, but we'll be doing a closeout pretty quick here. But I find, I find with, uh, <clears throat> what I found with that resistance is that there was so much unnecessary pressure I was putting on myself yeah. to perform at the RPM, like a hundred redlining yeah. Yeah. where I just realized, whoa, there's like, and I think it's just people, everyone wants to go to things really fast. Everything's just done, 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 done. And I really like the quote. It was uh, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Yeah. And I prefer smooth. And I always forecast for like significantly longer into the future. Yeah. And it's, it's so much less stress, man. And I think because we're not spending so much time and trying to get things done as fast as possible in the future, mm-hmm. it brings us more back to what we were saying before yeah. about being more present in the moment because we're not in a rush to get out of the experience. Absolutely. I, I don't, you don't have to answer this, but I would predict that your relationships also got better. So, so whether it's romantic relationship, relationship with your clients, relationship with yourself, whatever, whatever they are, I bet they all were higher quality as a result. 100%. Beautiful. 100%. So that, so that in itself is already a, the biggest win possible. Absolutely. Yeah. I find myself, well, like right now, I am only here with you. There is yeah. nothing else going on. It is just you and I are having this conversation and anything that any anything that's gonna anything that's on my check mental checklist is gonna be there later. But sure. right now yeah. is the most important point yeah. in time. You got it. That's cool, that's man. Lovely. Well, my friend, we are at the top of the hour and I don't want to take up too much of your time. I want to make sure that you get to uh some stuff. Is there anything that you wanna like? Anything that you want to comment on that I did not ask you a question on? No, man. It's a great conversation. Thank you. Hopefully it's the first of a few. And yeah, I appreciate your time and, and your energy today. Oh, man. I, I'm very grateful for having you on after four months of getting there. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got here, my man. So happy. Next time it's going to be in person. I'm, I'm working towards the in-person for sure. Okay. So I got, uh, I got two questions. Two questions to... Uh, finish up the podcast and then we do a nice little closeout. But uh, the first question, my friend, it is the end of your days. You are on your deathbed. Nothing content wise exists. It is only what you say on your deathbed that gets passed along. What is the piece of advice or what is the knowledge that you want to share in that moment? Who am I sharing it with? Your loved ones. Let's say how many, you said 11 family members, something like that. And then you can add in some extra if you wish. 
okay, so, so given the group of people that I'm talking to, they all have different needs. <laughs> so yeah. I, I, maybe I have a few messages. Okay, go um, for it. Number one is be brave. So like live your life with bravery. Number two is give grace to yourself. Some of those people are hard on themselves. So, so give grace to yourself. And number three is continue to build those around you with love. Nice. Dude, yeah, that's some good ones. So for the final question of the day, <clears throat> let's say the highest version of Raj is sitting next to you right now. He's going to embark some or impart some wisdom upon you. What wisdom would the best you, the best Raj, what you define as the best Raj, what would that Raj give you for advice for this season of your life? So uh, I want to be transparent with the guests, uh, any audience members that are watching this. Kyle, uh, you know, he, he preempted me with this question about an hour ago and, and, and you know, gave me an hour to let it contemplate in the background. I don't know that I'm any further along in my answer than it was an hour ago. So, and that's okay. So, so that already tells me that this is a question I need to spend some time with. And so after today, I thank you, because this is a question I'm planning to spend some time with. And I want to play with this. This is a very, I think it'll be a very fruitful exercise. However, you asked me a question and I'll try to answer it. So the best version of myself talking to me today improved my current season of life. I think the answer will be better tomorrow and in a couple of days from now. But at this moment, I actually think it's the same three things. I think it's live life with bravery. Give yourself grace. And then continue to build those around you with love. I, I think it's the same three things. I'm sure there will be some particulars that come out of that once I play with this a bit. But the overarching theme is the same. I like that. So, I'm I'm excited to I'm excited to see what your next answer is next time I see you. What you're you're gonna be like, dude, I just thought of it. Holy shit. <laughs> that is That's awesome. awesome. Kyle, thank you so much. This was this was a lot of fun. Uh, I appreciate that you having me on and, and letting me be one of the people on your podcast. And your podcast looks great. I know you're working on building it up and it's a lot of fun watching you grow it and, and seeing you put the time and passion into something that's really fruitful and productive for the audience members. Thanks, man. I, I big time appreciate that. So, uh, yeah, folks, thank you for those kind words, Raj. Where can people find you? Uh, I'm on Instagram, uh, at Raju Dillon. That's R-A-J-U-D-H-I-L-L-O-N. And you can find me uh, at Pivotal Physio as well. So www.pivotalphysio.com. Probably the two easiest ways to find me are those two. Beautiful. Well, folks, that is what I got for you today. If you love this episode, please do me a favor right now. Share it on your Instagram stories and tag me with my handle at Dapper Dude Kyle. Yes, I changed my handle. And with at Raju Dillon. That is one of the ways that we grow. And until next time, I hope your day treats you as good as you look.